Hello there, and welcome to the 37th episode of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. So on this week's episode, I'm going to be talking about the latest rumor involving George Springer and the Blue Jays, and then I'm going to move on to three relievers the Blue Jays have some interest in and what that means moving forward. So let's get into it. All right, so let's start with George Springer because... He's one of the last big ticket, big ticket players available in free agency, even though a lot of them haven't gone off the market so far. uh, It seems as though there's some new chatter involving the Blue Jays, and that comes by Ken Rosenthal in his latest report that came out this weekend about how the Blue Jays have offered George Springer a five-year, 100-plus million dollar deal now that may not exactly be something new because we already knew George Springer was looking for a deal in that range but it is good to know that the Blue Jays are definitely interested in making him that sort of offer it just seems as though Springer's probably not going to sign anytime soon maybe maybe in a few weeks because spring training is really only a month away you know pitchers and catchers report in one month exactly so things need to start moving in the free agency department particularly with the big ticket items like Springer and Bauer and Real Muto and uh, with the Blue Jays, it seems as though they may, they may be the, the last team standing here because the Mets now have Francisco Lindor. Their payroll is inching closer and closer to that $210 million luxury tax threshold. Now, I know that's not a salary cap. And the Mets have a new owner in Steve Cohen. And they can definitely exceed that threshold. But I don't see them doing that for Springer. Because they're going to have to extend Lindor very shortly. So that's one long-term deal they'll have on their payroll. They also have Jacob deGrom, who signed long-term. Then you also have Michael Conforto, who's basically the captain of their team. He also will need an extension before the start of next offseason. And then you would think they would want to try and re-sign Noah Syndergaard, because he's also expected to become a free agent next winter. So if you add all those long-term deals together, Lindor, Conforto, DeGrom, possibly Thor... If you throw in a George Springer along with that, could make things a little complicated for the Mets moving forward. And yeah, they do have a ton of money. They have an extremely rich owner. But they've also said they're not going to spend... They're not going to spend a high amount that's going to handicap their ability to improve their team long-term. And I think giving George Springer five years... You know, over $125 million may do that for them. So, even though they've shown 
an interest in him before Lindor and even past that, I just don't see them matching what the Blue Jays are willing to offer him. But that doesn't mean the Blue Jays will end up with Springer because we all know there's definitely other teams interested in him. But with the Blue Jays losing out on DJ LeMahieu, and they didn't really have a real shot at him, like I've said all offseason because he was never leaving the Yankees, George Springer really looks like their clear and obvious target because they did really like LeMahieu, but they had to have known he wasn't leaving New York. So it's like LeMahieu was their 1A free agent target. target. George Springer will, is likely their 1B. And it won't be the end of the world if they don't get Springer, but considering they definitely need an upgrade in center field it would definitely be a major disappointment if they fell short on landing Springer and another team like say the San Francisco Giants or who knows even the San Diego Padres who have made a ton of moves already this offseason if one of those teams or or any other team lands him and steals him away from the Blue Jays because it really seems as though Springer Probably he's leaning towards the Blue Jays just from a financial aspect because even though he really wants to play for the Mets especially because it's not that far away from his hometown I don't really see any other team offering him five years 125 million dollars other than the Blue Jays and I don't think like I said I don't think the Mets are gonna handicap themselves long term to give him that deal either so I think really Springer right now unless something changes within the next couple of weeks Springer is the Blue Jays to lose like he is their guy which has to get you excited considering the fan base has lost their minds this winter but every big name guy that the Blue Jays have been interested in has come off the board and I get that's frustrating but if they land Lindor no one's gonna give a, a, a second thought about what happened before they got George Springer. It's just like last offseason when the Blue Jays didn't sign Hunjin Ryu until December 27th, but everyone was losing their minds that they weren't getting Anthony Rendon or Garrett Cole or any other of those big name free agents that were available last winter. But like I said last episode, if they get George Springer, it makes the rest of their offseason a lot more easier because everything really falls into place after that because you, you just addressed your center field need. Then you could go sign somebody like Colton Wong to help your infield. Then you can address the starting rotation. You're not going to get Trevor Bauer. And a lot of people don't really want Bauer to come to Toronto, and I get that. So... You could maybe get somebody like Tywin Walker, potentially James Paxton, even though there's a lot of concerns regarding the velocity of his fastball and his injury history. Uh, So you could address all those needs fairly quickly if you land George Springer. The problem is, are you going to land George Springer 
before the end of January? That's the real question. Because the cards are all on Springer's table. He knows what the Blue Jays are going to give him. He knows what other teams are willing to offer him. But I truly think he's holding out hope that the Mets can somehow find a way to move some money around, which they could. They, they could definitely uh, create some salary dump trades. But again, I don't think they're going to want to handicap themselves long term by giving Springer a massive deal. So unless any other team, a dark horse, comes out of nowhere and offers Springer five years, like $150 million, I think Springer ends up with Toronto. And that would be a major win for the Blue Jays this offseason. Now, moving along to the Blue Jays bullpen, because that's an area where they haven't exactly addressed their needs yet, even though they did bring back AJ Cole, which is certainly an important move because he was good for the Blue Jays this past season, even though he did taper off towards the end of the year because he got fatigued, but he probably won't be utilized in the same exact role as he was at the beginning of last season, where you know he was basically one of their high leverage guys, which is not what AJ Cole is really capable of. He's a middle relief guy who's gonna throw in the sixth or in the seventh inning, not a guy you're gonna see in the eighth and the ninth inning. And with Ken Giles out for the year, you know, the Blue Jays could sign him to a two-year deal and, uh, and backload it, and hopefully he comes back strong in 2022. There's always the possibility of that happening. It's probably not going to happen anytime soon if that were to occur, uh, just because there's no shot of him playing this season, so there's really no rush to go out there and uh, and bring him back on a two-year deal. The Blue Jays could easily do that during spring training because I don't see any other team out there chomping at the bit, especially with the number of guys that are still on the free agent market and available. I don't see Ken Giles coming off the market anytime soon. So if the Blue Jays really want to bring him back, they could easily do it in February or even in March. You could even say... Uh, in April as well just because again he's not going to pitch in 2021 so right now as currently constructed the Blue Jays back end of the bullpen is going to consist of Rafael Dolis, Jordan Romano, probably Julian Merriweather and if they don't add somebody probably AJ Cole but if those guys are your only options, then the Blue Jays will run into a serious, serious issue in closing out games, which is why they definitely need to add a, another high leverage reliever this offseason. Now, considering there's still a lot of guys on the open market, there isn't a shortage of options for the Blue Jays. And right now, based on uh, recent reports, the Blue Jays are kind of interested in three different relievers right now. Those including Kirby Yates, who spent the last number of seasons with San Diego Padres. Then you also have somebody like Brad Hand, 
who has gained a lot of interest from the Mets this winter. And then they have also shown interest in Jeremy Jeffries along with nine other teams as well. So it may be a little bit difficult to land him. But as I see it, I think Kirby Yates is the guy the Blue Jays should really be trying to land because he, when healthy, is one of the best relievers in baseball, or at least has been over the last couple seasons. In in 2019, which is really he broke away from the pact and really became that top closer, uh, was when he generated a 119 ERA, a 130 FIP, a 225 expected FIP, also posted a career high 41.6% strikeout rate compared to just a 5.3% walk rate. And he also generates a good amount of ground balls too, posted a 47.9% ground ball rate in 2019. And he only allowed a 36.1% hard hit rate, which isn't all that concerning. So even though he had an injury riddled 2020 campaign that forced him to have surgery on his elbow, I still think Kirby Yates could prove to be a steal for the Blue Jays because He's apparently looking for a one-year deal that'll pay him $5 million. And considering he generated a 3.4 Fangraphs war rating in 2019, at $5 million, even if he doesn't start next season on time, he could still prove to be a steal just because how dominant he's been over the last two seasons. And even if the Blue Jays have to sweeten the deal to land him by going, say, two years at $10 million total, I still think that may prove to be a steal. Because even though he's going to turn 34 years old in March, I still think there's a good chance he'll be able to maintain his dominant numbers over the next two seasons. Because even though he had elbow issues this past season, the velocity on his four-seamer didn't dip at all compared to its 2019 velo, as it averaged 93.5 miles per hour in 2019, and it did not decrease at all, averaged 93.6 miles per hour in 2020. And he's only a two-pitch mix guy, just a four-seamer and a splitter, but he creates a ton of horizontal movement with both of those pitches, especially his four-seamer, which generated, or which averaged 14.2 inches of break in 2019, which was in the top uh, 99 percentile, which is insane. And then you have his splitter, which doesn't create as much horizontal movement, but it creates a ton of vertical movement. Averaged 37.6 inches a drop in 2019, which was elite, similar to his four-seamers horizontal movement. And with both of those movements not really decreasing in 2020, again, even though he had the elbow issues, I think that that probably signals 
that he's going to be able to maintain that movement for at least the next two seasons. And at $5 million per, considering that Brad Hand is probably going to get more than that per season, I think Kirby Yates is the guy. He's certainly the guy the Blue Jays got to go after above any other reliever on the market. And yeah, they wanted Liam Hendricks, but not for $54 million guaranteed. That's insane. Not to mention the option on the fourth year of his contract where the White Sox could exercise it, keep him around for that fourth year. But if they decline it, he still gets double digits spanned over a 10-year span, I believe, that it's uh, um, Debbie DeCross. So his agent really hit, hit a home run on that deal for him. And I don't blame the Blue Jays for not wanting to give uh, Liam Hendricks that much money over a four-year deal, especially that option year. Insane. Insane. Um, so again, if Kirby Yates, who it seems as though is going to make a decision very shortly, because unlike the top targets on the free agent market, the pitchers especially relievers, especially somebody who's coming off elbow surgery, probably wants to know where they're reporting for spring training and would want to get there when pitchers and catchers are supposed to report to camp. So it seems as though Kirby Yates could make a decision in the next week or so. And since the Blue Jays are heavily rumored to be interested in him, I know they finished second in a lot of these certain sweepstakes, but I think Kirby Yates is the guy they need to probably overpay a little bit to get because I don't see them getting Brad Hand. I don't see them spending close to $10 million, which is probably what the Mets are going to give him because here's the thing. Yes, the Indians declined his option and, and, and basically put him on waivers for any team to claim him and he went unclaimed. If Steve Cohen was the owner of the Mets when that happened, which he wasn't, he'd be a Met already. The Mets would have claimed him and paid him $10 million. So considering they were willing to do that, I truly think they're probably going to end up giving him 8 or $9 million per season. I could certainly see that happening. And there's no way the Blue Jays are going to be willing to spend that high on a reliever when they're also looking at somebody like George Springer, who they're probably going to have to give five years and upwards of $125 million to. I don't think they're going to spend close to $10 million on a high leverage reliever, but that's why they have to go back to somebody like Kirby Yates, who would only cost them probably $5 million per season and could still produce dominating results next season. So... Even if Brad Hand goes off the market, again, not the end of the world, but if they lose out on Kirby Yates, it's going to be a little disappointing. Now, that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean they don't have any more options available to them. Because there is somebody like Jeremy Jeffries, who they have looked at. There's a lot of teams interested in him, interested in him and rightly so. He's been decent 
I guess you could say over the last three, four, five seasons. I mean, he had an okay 2020 season with the Cubs, appeared in 22 games, generated a 154 ERA, but a 409 FIP, a 469 expected FIP. And the walk numbers weren't great. Had a 13.6% strike or walk rate compared to a 19.3% strikeout rate. So that's pretty concerning. But he doesn't give up contact. Just allowed a 135 average, a 161 BAP. So he also historically doesn't give up hard contact, but he did this past season as he allowed a career high 45.6% hard hit rate. But he does get a ton of ground balls too. So even though hitters are, are able to generate hard contact off him, it's generally on the ground as he allowed a 54.4% a ground ball rate in 2020 with the Cubs. So, I mean, he wouldn't be the worst acquisition in the world. But me personally... I'd want to stay away from him because 2018 is really when Jeremy Jeffries generated the best season of his career, which was with the Brewers, where he posted a 129 ERA, a 278 FIP, a 286 expected FIP, also posted a 29.8% strikeout rate, which was a career high once again, and also a 9% walk rate. And he also posted a career-high 1.7 Fangraphs war rating. And he was able to generate so many encouraging results because of his devastating curveball, which served as his primary pitch that season. He used it 30.8% of the time and allowed just a 151 average, a 188 expected average, a 233 slugging, just a 317 expected slugging, a 175 WOBA, a 227 expected WOBA, and also generated a 42.5% whiff rate against it, which is exceptional. And he was also able to get hitters to chase out of the strike zone with it as well, posted a 34.1% chase rate. But he hasn't been able to locate it since then. Because in 2018... He averaged at 2,464 RPMs spin rate on his curveball. But since then, it hasn't hit above 2,400 RPMs. Only hit 2,385 RPMs on average in, 20, in 2019. It came close to crossing over that 2,400 RPM threshold in 2020, but it fell just a little bit short at just 2399 RPMs. And if you look at its vertical movements, you could tell too, it hasn't been able to generate as much drop since the 2018 campaign. Because in, in that season, it averaged 51 inches of drop. But in 2019, he saw his, his uh, inches of drop decrease down to 48.4 inches of drop on his curveball. And then it dropped a little bit further 
in 2020. Average just 47.1 inches a drop, which is very concerning. And then it also didn't create as much horizontal movement as well. Because in 2018, it averaged 9.7 inches a drop, in, it, sorry, inches a break. Saw a slight decline in 2019, just 9.4 inches a break. But then it really took a turn for the worse in 2020 when it averaged just 8.3 inches a break. So not only is it not creating as much vertical movement, but it's not creating as much side to side movement either, which is very, very concerning, which has resulted in him relying on a splitter a lot more, which has developed into a plus pitch. But considering his curveball was really solely responsible for his outstanding 2018 campaign, it's very concerning that he hasn't been able to create, replicate that same movement that he was able to create in 2018. And it saw the usage of his curveball drop to 28.4% in 2019 and then all the way down to 25% this past season. So even though he was productive with his curveball in 19 and 20, because he's not using it as much, he's not going to be as effective as he was in 2018. And considering his fastball has also got has also gotten crushed over the last two seasons I wouldn't want to touch him with a 10-foot pole because in 2020 he barely used his heater just 11.5 percent of the time and in comparison he used his four-seamer 24.8 percent of the time in 2018 but the reason why he was he wasn't able to use it as much in 2020 because it allowed a 406 expected average a six 74 expected slugging and a 485 expected woba and it only generated a 5.9% whip rate so considering he struggled with his four seamer he struggled to locate his curveball over the last two seasons I don't want Jeremy Jeffries on the Blue Jays especially because they would be relying on him as a high leverage reliever and considering the struggles that he's endured over the last couple of years, that's very, very concerning to me. And especially because there's a lot of teams interested in him, he's probably going to get paid a decent amount. And if it's anywhere close to $5 million per season, the Blue Jays will walk away immediately and go get Kirby Yates. Now, there's also the possibility of, of exploring the trade market, which the Blue Jays are definitely looking at. They wouldn't be doing their job properly if they weren't. But right now, and rightly so, the focus is on the free agent market because there's just so many guys available. But I, I truly think, and I know I've used that term fairly quickly, fairly frequently in this episode, but... If, if the Blue Jays don't land Kirby Yates, I think instead of trying to pry hand away from the Mets, because it seems as though they, they're close on a deal. Not there yet, but it seems like they'll probably get there eventually. I think instead of taking that route, 
If they lose out on Yates, they should immediately turn their focus to the trading market. Because I don't really see anybody else out there who's worth their time as a high leverage option. They could certainly sign, you know, one or two guys as low leverage or even medium leverage guys. But I, if they, if, if they want a true... Maybe not number one, because I think Romano long-term is their closer. But if they truly want a number two to go along with Dolis, because he's going to probably get a few save opportunities, probably a lot of hold opportunities as well in the eighth inning or even the seventh as well. If they want another guy to go along with Dolis, it, it should either be Yates or it'll have to be somebody else through trade. And for the Blue Jays, I know... They probably don't want to take that route because really giving up, you know, a prospect or two for a reliever isn't exactly smart business just because relievers are kind of a dime a dozen, you know, it's a little bit different with high leverage relievers because they're more effective and they're usually more effective over multiple seasons, but as we've seen across the entire league over the past several seasons, relievers just don't last, especially the good ones. It's just very hard to continue to maintain that elite status. And if you're giving up decent, pieces of your prospect system and for a high leverage reliever the Blue Jays would probably have to do that it makes you question about whether you're making the right move or not which is why I really think the Blue Jays desperately need to land Kirby Yates because it's just it works on so many different ways price point the type of pitcher he is how he would fit with the Blue Jays you imagine Having somebody like Jordan Romano learn from a guy like Kirby Yates. I don't want to make this comparison because it's not a good one. But it's like when Roberto Osuna got the opportunity to learn from Latroy Hawkins. And I know when you bring up Roberto Osuna, first thing you think of is that incident, incident with his girlfriend in the hotel in Toronto. I get it. Just from a player standpoint that relationship that he developed with Latroy Hawkins certainly made him a better pitcher so if you're able to generate that sort of relationship with Yates and Romano that could prove to be extremely valuable long term because before Romano got injured last season he looked like an absolute stud and if he's able to learn from somebody like Yates who's been an elite reliever over the past two seasons imagine the stuff that Romano could pick up just learning from him taking bullpen sessions with him watching him do his thing on the mound during high leverage situations like, not only would the Blue Jays benefit from having 
Yates on the team from a statistical standpoint, but in the clubhouse as well, could prove to be extremely, extremely valuable. And that's another reason why I would love to see Yates with the Blue Jays. Will it happen? We'll see. And we'll probably see fairly shortly. But that does it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed my update on Springer and my breakdown of three relievers that the Blue Jays have interested in. And uh, hopefully all of you have a better understanding as to which one of those players the Blue Jays should target moving forward. But until next time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. And please remember, wear a mask, wear it properly, and only go out if it's necessary. Thanks for listening.